You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Anticipation drove Katrin from her sleep earlier than usual. She had been looking forward to this day, and it was finally upon her. She dressed while reviewing her mental list, making sure she had not overlooked some important detail. Her tinder box and extra clothes were already packed, and she added some dried fruit, smoked beef, and salted fish to her backpack. A trip to the cold cellar yielded a bottle of spring wine and wax cheese she had brought back from the cold caves. Her bedroll wrapped in her leather ground cloth and secured atop her backpack, she wondered what it was she was forgetting. There had to be something. Her morning chores needed to be finished before she left, and she asked the boys to give her until daylight. Still, she was not completely surprised when she heard laughter that sounded like a couple of halfwits trying to be quiet and failing. When she opened the door, she found Chase and Osborne side by side, grinning like fools, and her father walked up behind her at the same moment. Good morning, boys. You're here early, he said over her shoulder while she grinned back at the boys. Good morning, Mr. Volker, Osborne replied. Good morning, Uncle Wendell. Sorry we're early, but we thought we could help get Katrin's chores done faster, and then we could get an early start, Chase said, but then he jumped as if someone had pinched him. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. He twitched again and laughed, squirming. We have a surprise for you, Cat. Guess who's coming with us? He asked as he and Osborne stepped aside with a dramatic flourish. Strom entered the cottage smiling and bowing. I'd wager you weren't expecting to see me here, he said. Good morning to you, Mr. Volker. Good morning to you, Strom. It's good to see you again. Now you grinning scoundrels get out there. Clean and fill those water buckets. Katrin? You get the horses fed and take care of your cats, and, and then you can go, Wendell said with a smile. He seemed as excited about their big trip as they were. The group of exuberant young people gave Wendell a mock salute and almost in unison said, Yes, sir. They made quick work of the buckets and feeding. Benjamin wished them a safe trip and told the boys to behave themselves or he would hunt them down like rabid dogs. He said it with a smile, but the boys nodded seriously and said again in unison, Yes, sir. Benjamin laughed, shook his head, and walked into a stall with his pitchfork. The excited campers waved goodbye as they shouldered their packs and started their walk down the river trail. The false dawn had not yet shone on the horizon, but the moon was bright enough to light the way. They had little trouble getting to the river. Once there, they turned and climbed past the shoals and falls. They had covered half the length of the lake by the time the sun cleared the mountains. They laughed and talked while they hiked, having a generally good time of things, and Katrin began to feel the distance between her and her troubles. A small clearing shaded by tall pines seemed like a good place to rest, and they flopped onto the bed of needles. Katrin dug in her pack for the dried fruit and cheese, but it was Strom who got a whoop of delight from the others when he produced four of Miss Maris's sausage breads. 
Each one was twice the size of his fist and wrapped in waxed paper. Strom cleared his throat and said in his best imitation of Miss Maris's voice, Miss Maris sends these with her best wishes for some of her favorite patrons. She looks forward to seeing you on your next visit. Her words, not mine, he added, just to make sure Katrin understood the message was intended for her. The subtle message surprised Katrin, as did the support from Miss Maris, who had always been stern with her. But she decided she would process that information later. Today, she was on a grand adventure, and she wanted nothing more than to enjoy the sausage bread. Her bottle of spring wine was drained all too quickly, and she realized she should have brought more. No fears. I came prepared for just such an occasion, Strom said, seeing the concern flicker across Katrin's face, and he produced a bottle of spring wine and a bottle of Huckle's juice from his pack. I knew we brought you along for some reason, Chase said, patting him on the back. Strom elbowed him in the ribs as he shouldered his pack. Sorry about that, my friend. I didn't see you there. He said, laughing and pushing his way past Chase and Osborne. Katrin watched as the boys jostled and roughhoused along the trail, meandering in the direction of their intended campsite. But as the valley narrowed, they walked single file. The sound of the rushing falls grew as they approached the end of the lake, and when they reached the clearing, Katrin smiled in recognition. This was the tree she had climbed so long ago in hopes of catching a glimpse of the enchanted grove. She needn't wonder any longer. Now the grove was her destination. In search of the natural stair Katrin's father had mentioned, they approached the base of the falls, the mist rolling over them in clouds. Sunlight danced in the moisture, casting rainbows across the clearing and they moved quickly, hoping to avoid a thorough soaking. There it is, Chase said, and Katrin followed his gaze. Rounded lumps, blanketed with moss and soaked with accumulated moisture, formed the crude base of the stair. The rest of the foundation created an illusion, appearing flush with the rock face until the spell broke, and Katrin could see the form plainly. A narrow shelf angled up the rock face, its slope irregular. Heights had never been a problem for Katrin, but the stair was daunting. There was no room for error. Any slip could send her over the sheer drop with nothing to break her fall. As they climbed higher, the stair became dry and in some places distinct and well-formed. Katrin found them a wonder as if fate had carved a path for them, and she was thankful for the gift. The mental image didn't last long, though as they soon came upon a crumbled section of stair, which was barely passable. Perhaps fate did not wish to speed her trip after all, Katrin thought, laughing at herself. They managed to negotiate the treacherous section of the stair with a bit of help from each other, but none of them looked forward to climbing back down. The remainder of the climb proved to be fairly easy, and they reached the top of the cliff unscathed. Moving west, they searched for the trail Katrin's father said they would find. Seeing no obvious breaks in the trees, they moved along it, peering through the branches. Ahead of them, a buck emerged from the forest, his ears flicking forward and back, as if he sensed them. 
With a snort, he bounded back into the woods, disappearing from view, but aiding them nonetheless. As they neared the spot where he had been, a trail materialized within the outer barrier of leaves. Catrin led them into the forest following the narrow trail. The canopy of leaves blocked much of the sunlight, and they moved within a shady world that was filled with life. Deer moved almost silently through the woods, while smaller animals ran through the leaves with wild abandon. Squirrels at play sounded like a herd of beasts crashing through the undergrowth. Colorful birds flitted from branch to branch, their varied warbles filling the air. Menacing spiders had built elaborate webs that spanned open areas between trees. When Katrin walked into one of the clinging webs, she thought she felt its occupant land in her hair, and she gave the boys a good laugh while she tried to shed the imagined spider. Afterwards, she armed herself with a long stick which she waved in front of her like a wand, clearing the webs as she walked. The sound of the waterfall faded into the distance and Katrin picked up the hint of a noisy brook. She knew a stream ran near the grove, and she wondered if it was the same one. The incline grew steep, and sweat soaked them as they hiked, their legs aching. Soon, though, they emerged from the forest onto a large plateau, which was carpeted with thick green grass, broken occasionally by weathered outcroppings of obsidian rock. Emerald moss clung to the megaliths, marbling their surface as the land slowly reclaimed the masses of stone. Ancient and immense, the great oaks were unmistakable in the distance, towering above the tallest elm. Unlike any trees they had ever seen, the great oaks soared into the sky, their tops obscured by low-lying clouds. As the group drew closer, the sheer magnitude of the trees became even more evident. Twenty-four in all, They were evenly spaced and formed a nearly perfect circle, but each one was a force unto itself. The trunks were so massive that twenty people could stand around one with arms outstretched, and still their hands would not meet. Awed by the magnificence of the place, none of them made a sound, afraid to break the spell. Magical in its beauty, the grove lured them but Katrin was drawn by more than just the aesthetics. She could feel the power of the grove, a place in which the very air seemed alive with energy. She walked in slow reverence as if entering a holy place. Much of the grove was blanketed with lush grasses, but an irregular circle of bare stone dominated the heart of it. There were no writings or symbols nothing beyond its sheer might to indicate it was sacred. But it felt that way. The black stone was smooth and level with the grass, and Katrin found it strange that no moss or grass had encroached on it. It seemed almost as if the plants kept their distance out of respect for the mighty stone. I don't think we should camp in here, Osborne said into the eerie silence, and yet the spell remained unbroken. Feel we're welcome, but I don't want to disturb the beauty of this place. In quiet agreement, they walked toward the far side of the grove in search of a suitable campsite. The western clearing was much the same as the one on the east, and at about the same distance the forest began again. 
only the area between the two sections of forest was clear of underbrush. As Katrin searched for a place to camp, she concentrated on the sound of running water and moved toward it. An almost imperceptible waterfall glistened down the valley wall. The water flow was slight, but it fed a small stream that lay hidden in the folds of the land. The stream was narrow, but its water cool and clear. Not far from the base of the fall, Katrin spotted a large shelf of rock protruding from the cliff face and knew it would provide some shelter. On further inspection, it was obvious that others had camped there before, though it appeared to have been some time ago. A bare spot looked to have been used as a fire pit, and a few rocks still lay in a circle around it. Katrin and the others knew without saying that they had found their campsite. They dropped their packs and stretched sore muscles. Katrin went in search of stones to complete the fire circle. Would you boys gather some wood? she asked, and they set off for the western forest since no dead trees or branches were to be found in the grove. By the time they returned, Katrin had finished constructing the fire circle and gathered dry grass for kindling. Chase and Osborne dumped their armloads of wood directly into the circle of stones, and Strom started a woodpile off to one side. They left Katrin to start the fire while they ventured out for more wood. The wood they left was damp, and she knew she would have a hard time getting it to burn. Strom had left some sticks and leaves along with the larger pieces of wood, and Katrin gathered what was dry, placing it at the center of the fire circle. She retrieved her tinderbox from her pack and pulled out some dry shavings in her flint. She piled the dry shavings neatly at the base of her kindling pile and grabbed some larger pieces of wood leaning them against one another so they formed a cone above her kindling. Sparks flew as she struck her stones against one another, but few actually made it to the shavings. After several sparks hit the shavings going out almost immediately, one took hold. A small flame blooming around it. She cupped her hands and blew gently, and though the tiny flame went out, the shavings glowed red. The flames returned, doubled their size, and quickly consumed the kindling, but barely even dried the damp branches. Piling even the damp kindling upon her small blaze, she sent a cloud of smoke into the air. With a few puffs, though, the flames returned, licking eagerly at the branches. Is that little fire the best you could do? I was expecting you to have dinner cooked by now, Chase said, dumping his armload of wood and he jumped back as Katrin took a swipe at him. He laughed and went to lay out his bedroll. He chose a spot that was near the fire, yet still shaded by the rock overhang. Osborne and Strom threw their bedrolls down near his. By the time they were comfortable, Katrin had a nice fire going. The air above it shimmered and the light danced over them. She retrieved her bedroll only to find all the sheltered spots taken and the boys pretended not to notice her irritation. She stood with her hands on her hips, glaring at each of them. Chase could no longer keep up the ruse and was the first to start laughing. He and Osborne moved their bedrolls together, and Strom moved his to the other side, making a spot in the middle for Katrin. She curtsied and pounced on the newly cleared spot, leaving them no chance for reconsideration. Something about being in a strange place together 
and sitting around a fire made everything seem right with the world. They rummaged through their packs in search of various goodies, and they feasted on sausage breads, cheeses, and dried fruit. They made sure to leave themselves enough supplies for a few more meals, but what they ate was delicious. It was adventure food, free of restraint and responsibility. There was nothing to clean up when they were done, and they could relax with full bellies. They had no reason to wake in the morning, no chores awaiting them. It was a glorious feeling, only slightly dampened by the knowledge that it was temporary. Katrin just watched the flames, but Chase seemed obsessed with tending the fire, constantly shifting the coals and poking them with a stick. She excused herself, suddenly stifled by the heat of the fire. Wandering into the deepening shadows, she drank in the fresh air and savored it. Stopping for a moment to take another deep breath, she looked up at the skies. Cloud cover was slowly breaking up and a few stars were visible through the gaps. Leaning her head back, she closed her eyes. She felt her mind expanding and perceived an almost audible click. It was as if a doorway in her mind suddenly opened. Her body felt intensely alive, every sensation magnified. With her arms wide, she stood basking in the light breeze as it tousled her hair. Chase yelled from the campsite, Katrin, you gonna sleep out there? It's such a pretty night, she said. I think I'm going to take a walk. Would anyone care to join me? Nah, we'll just stay here and eat all the food, he replied, laughing. But the boys roused themselves and joined her. The night drew them on, pulling them into the ring of mighty trees. Beams of moonlight shone through the parting clouds, lighting Katrin's way. She let her body go where it wished, her path leading straight toward the center of the grove. The others followed in silence as if entranced by her rhythmic movements. Cold stone caressed her feet, soothing them as she strode upon it. Feeling as if she could ride the wind, Katrin whirled in a rhythmic dance. Around her pulsed the beat of life and she danced to its lilting cadence. Life energy was everywhere, but it was more focused in the grove, almost tangible. Spinning on the wind, she closed her eyes and raised her hands to the heavens. Energy from above bathed her in its warmth, and she grabbed onto it with her mind, tasting its sweetness, smelling its fragrance, caressing its texture. Its beauty overwhelmed her. She clung to the energy, letting it suspend her and hold her. Overcome with joy, tears coursed down her cheeks. The boys talking shook Katrin from her revelry. She opened her eyes to see the night sky and two bright sources of light. It took a moment for her eyes to focus but then she clearly saw the moon in another bright object. The second was like nothing she had ever seen. Elliptical with a long trail of light in its wake, it sparkled with life and called to her. It was so beautiful she could not look away. By the gods, do you see that? Chase shouted, and Katrin returned to herself somewhat again. 
Another, closer source of light stole the brightness from the doubly lit night sky. Lightning danced across her fingers in powerful arcs, and twin beams of liquid energy extended from the palms of her hands into the sky, twining themselves into a single thread of energy. Colors raced along it, constantly shifting and changing, each moment bringing something new. Katrin heaved, her mind finally reconciling what her eyes reported. She yanked her hands down violently, feeling an awful tearing sensation as she pulled herself away from the massive energy flow. In that moment, she realized her feet were not touching anything, and she had no time to brace herself before they struck the black stone beneath her. Even in her confused state, she realized she must have been high above the ground, judging by her impact, which buckled her knees and tossed her onto her back. She remained supine for a moment, staring at the sky, and she caught another brief glimpse of the comet before fast-moving clouds once again obscured it. The clouds, Katrin realized, were moving far too fast. A storm was upon them. Lightning ripped across the sky in a vast web of light, and the wind howled as bands of horizontal rain assaulted them. Run for cover! Katrin shrieked above the wind, and they fled to the relative shelter of their campsite. Hail pelted them as they ran. The stones were small at first, but steadily grew larger and more dangerous. The light of their wind-blown fire illuminated their belongings as they were scattered about the campsite, sent tumbling by the wind. After scrambling to collect their things, they huddled under their packs, watching helplessly as gale-force winds snuffed their fire. The darkness was nearly complete, broken only by monstrous bolts of lightning as they set fire to the thunderheads. The wind howled and intensified, screaming at them, sucking their belongings into the night. Thunderous cracks and booms mixed with the wailing call of the wind and battered Katrin's senses, making her think she was about to go mad. Dirt and debris carried by fierce gusts stung her exposed skin. Katrin screamed as lightning illuminated the plateau long enough for her to see a mass of branches and leaves hurtling toward them. It struck the ground in front of them with incredible force, driving the air from her lungs. Startled but uninjured, Katrin and her friends huddled under the massive limb, hoping nothing else would fly from the darkness. From the deck of his flagship, Rebellion's End, General Dempsey stared at the skies in disbelief. It was not the storm that came as such a surprise. It was the comet. Archmaster Belegra had told him it would come, but he had not believed. Instead, he had chosen to deny the truth, to go into the greatest of peril unprepared because of his own blindness. It took some time for him to accept this new reality, since it seemed everything in his world had suddenly changed. Next came his anger. What did Archmaster Belegra expect him to do against the ultimate adversary? How could he ever be expected to achieve victory? His father had taught him that joining a battle where there is no chance for victory was to die a noble fool. But General Dempsey could see no honorable way out. 
no matter what his father had said, honor was a thing worth dying for, and he would not back away from his responsibility because of fear. In his mind, a plan began to form, and his face settled into a look of determination. Whether his plan would achieve victory or utter defeat, General Dempsey would use every trick he had ever learned. May the Herald beware. Chapter 5 In our darkest moments, we come to know the true measure of our souls. Ian Geist, Sleepless One As dawn illuminated the valley, turning it into a rippling palette of light and shadow, Katrin and her friends could see the full extent of the storm damage. The majestic grove that had drawn them was no more. Not even one of the great oaks remained standing. They were strewn about the plateau as if felled by a mighty hand. Some were almost whole but had been torn from the soil and apparently flung about. Others had been twisted then sheared off leaving fingers of wood sticking out from stumps like splinters of bone protruding from grisly wounds. It was the lightning-struck trees, though, that disturbed Katrin the most. The bark was blasted off in many places, and the exposed wood was so warped it resembled partially melted candle wax. Katrin surveyed the damage, walking ahead of the dispirited group, toward the place that had once been the center of the grove. Her heart was hurt at the sight of the ruination, but some morbid sense drew her on, forcing her to commit the images to memory. Since passage was hard to find among the fallen leviathans, their progress was slow, but no one spoke a word of protest. Katrin ran her hands along the fallen trunks as she passed them bidding them a silent farewell. It took a moment for her to recognize the center of the grove when she reached it. Tears filled her eyes, and her body trembled as she gazed upon the black stone. None of it had escaped damage. That which was not crushed under the fallen giants had been blasted by lightning and pounded by massive hail. All that remained was a mass of rubble and gray powder that crunched under their boots. Grapefruit-sized hailstones still littered the area, serving as poignant reminders of nature's power. Katrin turned wordlessly back to her friends, who remained downcast and silent. They had tears in their eyes, and she could see the fear in them. It was so beautiful. Osborne said in a low whisper. His words stung Katrin like a physical blow, and she moved away from the place quickly, trying to escape the oppressive weight settling on her shoulders. She wanted to believe the destruction of the grove was not her fault, but she found no comfort, only tremendous shame and grief. Her father had finally trusted her enough to share the knowledge of how to find his special place, and she had destroyed it. Her depression deepened when she realized it had not really been her father's place at all. Someone planted the great oaks, by her guess, many generations ago, 
She had entered a sacred place and, by some unconscious action, had brought about its desecration. She felt as if she had betrayed her ancestors, and she could almost sense their accusing stares on her, denouncing her. Tears clouded her vision as she stumbled through the maze of debris. When she reached what remained of the campsite, she began to gather what she could find of her gear. Chase reached her side but remained silent for a time. You can't blame yourself for the weather, Cat. This wasn't your fault. This was just like the storm we had three weeks ago. That funnel cloud did a lot of damage too, and you had nothing to do with that, either, he said. Katrin wanted to agree with him. She was no goddess or sorceress with influence on the weather. To believe she was would be silly but she still needed a reasonable explanation for the strange occurrences that seemed to center on her. She supposed her dance above the stone could have been a hallucination, but such rationalizations did not ring of truth. When she considered the appearance of the comet, the odds against it all being coincidental were staggering. Perhaps, she thought, she had just been in the wrong places at the wrong times but things were too similar for those events to have been purely coincidental. Once she and the others finished packing what they had left, Katrin shouldered her pack and looked at her companions. They looked away, and she understood their fear because she, too, was terrified. They probably believed she was somehow responsible for the devastation of the grove, and she feared they could be right. Happened last night, Cat? Osborne asked. What happened to you? I don't know, she said, her voice shaking. I'm so sorry. Let's go home. The others nodded and followed her wordlessly. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.